My name is Shannon Heffernan, and I'm a producer and reporter for WBEZ's After Water series. After Water is a weird little experiment we got going here at WBEZ. It's a mashup of science, art, and journalism, all about the future of the Great Lakes. What we did is we paired writers with climate scientists and Great Lakes experts, and we asked them to write stories decades from now when fresh, clean water could be a rare resource. Last episode, you heard a story from Abby Jeannie. She joined me in our studios to talk about the process of writing that story. Your books often deal with factual things, with nature. Um, and it seems to me that you do a lot of research. I do. Tell me about um, how that process worked for this particular story. Tell me about some of the things you looked into and, and what you discovered. Well, in general, when I start to investigate who a character is, I do a lot of research because I like to know, I, I kind of find my characters through their passions. Um, so to understand someone's mind, I need to know what they care about. Um, so in this story, I, I was interested in playing with the plural third person, <laughs> um, the idea of a, a group of people who all right. have a similar point of view. Um, so I really just wanted to understand what it would be like for these children in this environment, um, you know, what their day-to-day struggle would be like. And the more I learned about the way the world would be for them, the more I understood them as people. When we started talking to you about this story, you said the first thing that came to your mind was the image of these these boys. What about that image? What about these boys compelled you to want to, to write about them? In a, in a situation of deprivation, um, what happens to the children is, is often kind of swept aside because we're interested in what the adults are doing to handle the situation. But for children, they wouldn't necessarily know what the world had been like before, what had been lost. This would just be the way the world always was for them. Um, so I was interested in kind of people who would not have memory, not have a past of a world when there was water, when there was enough. You know, people who lived in an environment all their lives and who just accepted it the way children do. So as you were you were thinking and reading about what the world could be like in the future, what were the what were the details and the information that stuck out to you that, that made its way into the story? I was actually, well, you and I were emailing, and it was something that you were talking about, actually, was the idea of floods. So there's too much water, and yet the water itself is toxic. Um, So the idea of there being a surplus of something where it looks like we have so much water. It looks like, you know, we could bathe in it, we could drink it, but the water will make you thirstier, the water will make you sicker. So it's, it's kind of like what people talk about for shipwrecks, you know, the idea of there's so much ocean. You know, it seems like we should be able to drink the ocean. It seems like it should be a good thing, but it's not. Um, So I was just struck by that idea of being surrounded by something, the illusion of something, I guess, the illusion of water, when in fact there is none. On that note, one Mm. of my favorite lines from your story is blue desert. Mm. And I love that phrase because it had so much packed into it. It was both the visual landscape of this flat blue water, but it was also this idea that the water had no water in it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was <laughs> that was what I was going for. You don't usually, from at least what I've read in your work, right into the future. Your work is usually a little bit more grounded in the present tense. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like for you to project yourself into a, a more imaginary world? Honestly, it was <laughs> it was terrifying. This project is terrifying. The idea of what the world will become. I think that's part of why I stay in the present is because I, I am so fascinated by nature and animals and climate change. And, you know, the news is not good. Um, so I think I avoid it as sort of a sense of self-preservation. I can't I can't emotionally always engage with what that would be like. Was there anything that as you were thinking about it and writing about it that, that had a feeling of hope for you or a feeling of comfort? I read an article about, um, I think his name is Miyazaki, the, the anime, you know, the famous anime uh, director, animator. Um, and, and he 
also often works with nature. And I remember reading an interview with someone was saying he he's looking forward to the time when everything collapses and nature takes over. He sees that as a hopeful possibility. You know, human supremacy may not be the end all and be all. And it's possible that when the world changes as it's going to change, it may, you know, be wonderful. There may be some kind of balance that's reasserted or, I don't know, <laughs> a gleam of hope in terms of that, in terms of us resuming our place in the world instead of trying to, you know, be the world in and of ourselves. So your stories often do exist in this place right between nature and humans, examining that balance and how they interact. Why do, what is it about you or your background that you think led you to want to locate your stories in this in this space? I think that there's this illusion in the human world that we are separate from nature, that nature doesn't affect us, that we are outside of it, but I've never really felt that way. I've always sort of been aware of the places where nature comes into our lives and where we collide with it, the fact that we are animals, the fact that we are inextricably of the food chain. I feel like that's an important point of view because it's something that's easy to forget in our day-to-day lives because that illusion is so prevalent that we're not of nature. Where do you see that interaction between the natural world and the human world? Where do you see that in Chicago? Where do you see that in your own life? Where are your, <laughs> where are your favorite? Well, the lake. You know, I, I think that people underestimate the impact that the lake has on Chicagoans. You know, it's it's... It's this vast inland sea that is, you know, you smell it on the air. It changes our weather. You use it to navigate. Um, but I also feel like coming from the Midwest, the the extremes of weather are so intense that you can't help but engage with nature to a certain extent. I mean, you know, there's always in the summer and in the winter, there's always the death toll on the radio of people who are succumbing to the heat or to the cold, and the storms that shut the city down. There's a way that you can't escape the nature that is here. You know, the way in some other places, I feel like you can be comfortable all the time. In the Midwest, as soon as you leave your house, you're probably not comfortable anymore. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Nature is sort of thrust upon you, Mm -hmm. whether you... um, whether you want it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine you don't usually write from assignments. You usually don't write from somebody saying, yeah. we want you to write on this topic. Mm-hmm. You were given this body of research. You were mm-hmm. given this body of information and said, go off. Mm-hmm. Do what do what you will with that. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, again, I think it allowed me to engage with a darker subject matter than I would have necessarily because... When I do my own writing, it's just me alone in a room, which if you're writing about something very dark can be a dark place to be. But in this case, it was like I was working with you and I was working with other people and there was research to be done and people to be connected with. So I wasn't quite alone in that (laughs) the darkness of this end of days, end of water scenario. So maybe that allowed me to to engage with it in a different way. Was there anything in your in the reading, the research that that, that still hovers over you as a question? Um, Well, I have a. I have a toddler at home, and I don't want him to live the life that these boys live. <laughs> so I guess the question is always, can this be avoided? You know, how can we still do it? Now, one, one question I've been asking a lot of our writers who, are, who come from a more traditional science fiction is, what's the role in science fiction in helping us to think uh, about the future and helping us to think about the choices we make? Now, in some ways, you're a science fiction writer that's not a science fiction writer <laughs> at all, right? You deal. Shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> you do, but you deal with science. I do. You deal with you deal with facts, mm-hmm. and so I'm going to ask you that same question too. Mm-hmm. What's the What's the role of writers who are who are dealing with science, who are dealing with nature, and in, in shaping how we as a general population deal and think about these things? Uh, well, I'm a great lover of science fiction, as you can probably imagine. Um, I think that. Science fiction is sort of our collective imagination. You know, it allows us to leap forward and see the way things maybe could be. I mean, the the number of things which have been written about and have come to pass is is really startling. Um, So I think 
I have hope from science fiction that you know it can it can take us somewhere or show us something that maybe we can't see yet, but that will come to pass. You know that the, that the writers can imagine for us. That was Abby Genie. She wrote a story for WBEZ's After Water series. To hear some of the science behind the stories, visit our website wbez.org or go to afterwater.tumblr.com. After Water is part of WBEZ's Front and Center series. Front and Center is funded by the Joyce Foundation, improving the quality of life in the Great Lakes region and beyond.